Thank you for listening to the Calvary Monterey podcast. Please visit calvary.com to learn more about our church and visit nateholdridge.com for additional Bible teaching from our senior pastor, Nate Holdridge. Verse 1 to 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. You might remember a few weeks ago we were in Hebrews 3. There's a contrast between the generation that didn't believe God about going into the promised land, and so they had to wander in the wilderness. So what they heard didn't benefit them because they didn't believe that God could help them. For we, verse 3, who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage... He's quoting from Psalm 95 now. He said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore, verse 6, it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, verse 7, he appoints a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For, verse 8, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, verse 9, listen to this, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, this is, this is for us today, Strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For, verse 12, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Let's pray together. Father, You are busy here in this passage introducing to them and to us the concept of Your rest, which, Lord, without even knowing completely what that is we desire it lord we want to be brought into your rest we want to enter it and so lord we pray that you would teach us this morning that you'd give us insight so that we might be a people who walking around here on earth today are walking in the rest the trust the peace of god we want to experience that lord today so we pray that you would use this passage of scripture to form the way that we think about you and the rest that you have offered to us as your people. 
We thank you, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the most famous sayings of Jesus comes from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Human beings, we, we just resonate with that. The idea that there are people walking around weary and burdened. You ever said amen to that? And then Jesus comes along and says, come to me then. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Take my yoke upon you. I, Jesus says, will give you rest. But now at this point, we have to ask the question, what is he talking about, Jesus, and what is he talking about here in Hebrews when he speaks of a rest that is offered to us as his people? I know it's easy for me to fill in the blanks on what rest looks like. I have all kinds of ideas in my mind, in my imagination of what rest looks like. If I could pick like a day in my life where I could, I could really picture rest perfectly, it would come from of the summertime. This last summer, I mean, I, I take my family traditionally, habitually, every single summer. We go up to Lake Tahoe during the summer months. And th this last summer, there was this one particular day we knew it was going to be hot, clear skies, no rain, and it was just going to be a gorgeous day. And that was going to be a beach day. We don't do the beach every day that we're there, but there are certain days where it's like you have to go to the beach on this particular day. And it just so happened to be part of the time we were there where we had a bunch of friends that were with us. And so what the husbands did is we all got up early, we loaded up the truck, we got the coolers, the canopies, the blankets, the towels, the flippers, the goggles, the coolers, the food, the barbecue pit, and the hammock. Because I've been carrying this hammock around all vacation long, waiting to go to a beach where I could get a spot next to a couple of trees. And it hadn't happened yet, so I brought the hammock. And we got there to the beach early in the morning before it was really hot, and we just started setting everything up, me, me and the other dads. And we, we got everything out, you know, we're laying out the blankets and the canopy. We got everything going. I got my little hammock set up, and by then it's starting to get really hot. We're kind of sweating a little bit. And then, but, then, but then after that, you know, the, the, the wives were not there yet. The kids were not there yet. So after that, I put on my running shoes. And I said, man, I'm going to go in the heat. The heat's starting to come out in the heat. I'm going to go for a, a nice run, four or five miles. I'm just going to let my skin get, because I go skins when I'm in Tahoe. And, and I'm going I'm to, not to put that image in your mind, I'm so sorry. But, but, but I'm going to run. I'm going to let the sun just bake on my skin. I'm just going to get all sweaty and everything. And then, so finally, then I finished. I went back to the beach. The guys were there. But, but before I lay down, I then jumped in the water. You know, you're hot. You're your heart is pumping. You jump in the water. It's like this cool, crisp, you know, snow melt water. And then, and then I come out. I lie down on the towel, dry off, let the sun warm me up back again. And then once I'm all dry, all warm, I go over to my hammock in the shade, pull out my Kindle, start reading a book. That's rest right there. <laughs> that was it, man. Oh, it was so yeah, you guys want to clap for that. Yeah. That's probably like the kind of idea that we have when we think about rest. But what is God's rest? What does he have for the human heart? Well, in this passage, we are going to look at that question and think about how to enter into the rest of God. 
One way to answer this question is by looking at what occurred previously in the passage. And in Hebrews chapter 3, the author points out that there was a generation who tried to go into the promised land, but when they got to the borders of it, they didn't believe that God was strong enough to bring them into the promised land successfully, and they feared the people who were already living there, so their unbelief kept them from going into the promised land rest that God had for them. But that's what was passed in this passage. What's going to be spoken of, and we already read a little bit about it, is talking about actually going into the promised land, but also going back to the Garden of Eden. And so that has something to do with the rest of God. What was it like before the fall in the Garden of Eden? That has a little something to do with the kind of rest that God wants to provide for us as His people today. But then, as you keep going in the book of Hebrews, you look even past chapter 4, and you get all the way to the end of the book, and the author has this whole category of phrases that he wants to use to describe the eternal, someday, forever destiny of God's people. He uses phrases like this, the city that has foundations. Wherever you live, wherever you're from, you do not live in a city that has foundations. But there is a city coming, he says, a holy city that has foundations. Hebrews 11, verse 14, he calls it our homeland. Chapter 11, verse 16, he calls it our heavenly country and city. Chapter 12, verse 22, he calls it the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. Listen to this phrase from chapter 12, verse 28. He calls it the kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then finally, chapter 13, verse 14, he will call it the city that is lasting that is to come. The lasting city that is to come. So in a sense, you could say that the author to the Hebrews, when he's writing about this rest that believers can walk in today, he has a perspective that it's kind of like the rest that they finally won when they went into the promised land. He has a perspective that it's kind of like the rest that Adam had in the Garden of Eden. And he has another perspective that says it's ultimately found when we finally get to the great and eternal and final city with God that lasts forever and ever. But what's clear from this passage is that he's not thinking that Christians should be a people who say, right now I have no rest right now i have no peace with god but one day i will have it no he says christians should be a people who say one day i will have in that eternal city rest with god but that eternal city is reaching out into my current experience and asking me to enter into god's rest today in fact the two words that are used over and over and over again in this passage that we just read to get together are the words rest and the word enter god wants you to enter into his rest every single day of your christian life experience in a sense you could say it like this it's not only heaven reaching out into our today trying to dictate the way our lives are lived today. But maybe you could say it like this. It's the voice of our Father in heaven trying to reach out from heaven with His voice to dictate the way in which we would live our lives today. I'll give you an example of this. When I was a, when I was a boy, 
This will tell you a little bit about my psyche, so please be patient with me. But when I was a boy, I was a stressed out little guy. I, I don't know what I was stressed out about. I was growing up in Pacific Grove of all places, you know, the butterfly capital of the world. I should have just been in total peace, me and the monarchs, you know, but, but I, I wasn't. I was stressed out. I was worried, you know, and all that. And one thing I worried about and stressed out about a lot was all of my athletic endeavors. You know, I, I didn't it, like connect the dots by like looking at my father and my uncles and like seeing their athletic prowess and like realizing, yeah, there's a limit to how far I'm going to go. <laughs> I, I didn't think that, you know, as I was growing up, I thought like, man, you know, this is a big deal. I got to take this really seriously. I remember, I remember one day my, my father, he, he, he told me after a particular baseball game, I probably like struck out a couple times or something like that and was embarrassed and sad and depressed and bummed out. And I remember my dad, he, he came to me and he, and he wanted to comfort me. And this is, this will tell you a little bit about my childhood. This is how he comforted me. He said, Nathan, there are a billion people in China who don't even know that you played that baseball game today. <laughs> that was his word of comfort. <laughs> I mean, I would have been good with like, you're really good. You just had a bad day. You'll get them. You'll probably go pro. Like I would have been good with any of that. But no, it was, but I remember that stuck with me. It was like a revelation. It's like, wow, it's so true, you know? And I remember there'd be times where I'd be up to the plate and I'd get down to two strikes and I'm right up there on the verge of striking out and I'd have this little voice like going, there are a billion people in China. They don't even know what I'm doing. They don't even know what baseball is, a lot of them. You know, it just kind of hit me. You know, it was the voice of my father impacting my experience. God wants to do the same for us today. He wants to bring us into rest by having His voice minister to our current experience today. Rather than having a slave-like relationship with God, He wants to impart to us His grace so that we will live a life that is responding to the grace that He has spoken into our lives. Rather than walking around in dead religiosity, dead religion, He wants to speak to us to say, look, I've called you, I've invited you into fellowship that is dynamic and real with Me. Instead of walking around with dread and worry and fear about everything in life, God wants us to understand that He's on the throne, that He's in control, and that He's watching over the lives of His children. Rather than running around in self-effort trying to approve ourselves in His sight, we should hear the voice of our Father saying as He said to His own Son, which we are now in, in Christ, this is my beloved Son, this is my child in whom I am well pleased. The voice of the Father should alter and shift the way that we are living in our current experience today. That's a little bit about the rest that God wants to bring us into. Now the reality of this, if I could say this before I show you how the text can bring us in, how the Word can bring us into this rest, the reality is this is a slightly subjective experiential reality. I'm not meaning to create in the church some kind of haves and have-nots comparison. Now, there's some people that have the rest, some people that don't have the rest. I think of anything... What we experience is, even when we get the rest, it is a daily fight to enter into that rest of God. In fact, if I could just be honest about it, it's one of those subjects that's a little embarrassing for me to talk about. Partly because I feel that the entire 
adult Christian experience that I've had is a wrestling match, is a battle every single day to enter in to the rest that God has for me. I'm not a naturally peaceful person. I'm not a naturally at rest. That whole story I told you, there's a reason why it was all these steps to try to finally get in the hammock. You know, I got to take care of all these things before I could finally, you know, that's not my disposition naturally. So for for me, in a sense, I, I hope that I'm able to talk to you about this because for me, this has been my experience. God, I want to enter into your rest. I want to have everything that you have for me. And I don't have it naturally, and so I pray that you'd help me to walk through whatever I need to walk through to get into the rest that you have for my life. Okay, so I want to show you six things from the 13 verses that we just read. The first one comes from verse 1, if we could read it again. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Let us fear lest any of you seem to have failed to reach it. Now, if you could just look in your Bibles and skip down to verse 11, I want to show you a secondary complementary verse about the same thing. He says there in verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Those two verses put together form for us the real big exhortation, like the takeaway, the what do I do about the truths that are found here is that the author of Hebrews is trying to say, look, what I want you to be is a group of people who have a concern. He uses the word there in verse 1, fear. It's not a weird paranoia. That's not what he's talking about. It's not a slavish fear of God, nor is it even the good fear of God. You, you know, there's a good fear of God. It says in Proverbs and Psalms that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When a person stops fearing God, all kinds of foolishness enters into their hearts and into their minds. But when there's a reverence of God, a fear of God, but it's, but it's not talking about that here. Here, what he's saying is, I want you to have a concern, a, a, a thing in your heart where you say, you know, If there's one desire that I have above all desires, it's that I would get everything that Christ got me for. I I am concerned that I am going to miss out on the full life of rest that He has for me today. And I want everything that Christ has for me today. So the first thing that I want you to see, number one, is that entering God's rest should be a major priority for the Christian. Let it not be said that we are a people who would say, I'm saved, I'm sealed by the blood of Jesus, and I'm good. I don't need to follow Him. I don't need to obey Him. I don't need any of the things that He calls me into because my ticket to heaven has been punched by the blood of Christ. It's a very dangerous attitude to have, and I think it does not evidence the kind of heart that has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. No, the person who wants everything that Christ has says, no, I want to enter his rest. It will be a major desire, concern, priority of my life. Now, the second thing I want you to see is found in verse 2 through the middle part of verse 3, if we could read that together. He says, for good news came to us just as to to them, 
But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Now, I'll just pause right there. This is me making a timeout. Uh, I'll just pause right there and say that what he's talking about is he's talking about there, there's a previous generation, the generation that could have gone into the promised land. They came out of Egypt. They, they wandered for a little bit, but they were right on the border of the promised land. They were supposed to go in. God was going to deliver them to go in. And they sent in some spies. The spies came out. Ten of them said, there's no way we could do it. There's giants in the land. And then two spies said, no, you need to believe in God. God can give this land to us. God is strong on our behalf. And what it says there in verse 3 is the congregation, the, the group, the millions, they were not united with those who listened. Joshua and Caleb, the two guys who believed. They, didn't, they weren't united with the believers, the, the ones who had faith in God. He says there in verse 3, as we read on, he says, for we who have believed enter that rest as he has said. And here he quotes from Psalm 95. Really, Hebrews 3 and 4 is the author's way of picking apart Psalm 95. And so he quotes from it and says, As I swore in my wrath, this is God speaking, they, that generation, shall not enter my rest. Why didn't they enter into the rest of God? They did not enter into the rest of God because they were not united in faith with those who listened. In other words, they were kept out because of their lack of simple trust and faith in God. This leads me to the second thing about God's rest. Number two, God's rest is accessed by faith. God's rest is accessed by faith. Let me give you an example of this that I'm sure many of you can relate to. Have, have, have any of you ever uh, been at odds with or had tension with another human being? <laughs> Has that ever happened in your life, you know? Right? You're like, yeah, right, you know, I'm going through something right now. You know, I mean, this is a common experience, okay? That could be big tension or small you know if things were peaceful and then just something came in like man i don't know what's going on some unrest came in there okay so think about that now i find that the flesh is really good at thinking of ways to respond to that tension you ever stopped and just kind of noticed when you're out of a moment of conflict if it if it didn't go so well and you walk away you ever notice how creative your flesh is? It starts thinking of like 20 different ideas of what you could have done or will do or could have said, you know, that just would have like drilled that person, you know? Our flesh is really good at thinking of ways to respond. But listen to this, and I want to quote it from the New Living Translation so that it kind of loses some of its familiarity for us because it's the golden rule, Matthew 7, verse 12. Jesus said, Do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. You're at tension with someone. Conflict. You hear the voice of the Lord. Do to others, treat them, treat that person in the way that you would want them to treat you. There's no promise attached to it. There's no thing that says, and then the way what will happen is they will be so blessed 
And they're going to turn around. They're going to start treating you like you wanted them to treat you in the first place. No, there's no promise of, of that. It says, this is what the law and the prophets, the sum total of it is, do unto others as you would have them do to you. That, brothers and sisters, that takes faith. It is a step of faith. You, what, what you're going through right in that moment is you're like on your own little journey into a l- cool little part of God's promised land for your life. That you would be more like Christ than before. And you're right there on the edge of it. You're buttoned up against it. And this tension comes, this conflict comes, and the question is, how will I respond? What am I going to do? And it takes faith. It takes trust in the Lord to say, God, I believe that your way is the best way. I'm going to treat this person right now in the way that I would want to be treated with no promise that that's going to do anything in resolving this conflict, but I'm going to do it in trust and obedience that you're going to bring about the best thing in my life as a result. And when you exercise that faith, that trust in the revealed Word of God, you are walking into another little part of the territory of Christ-likeness that God has for you. Alright, so God's rest is accessed by faith. The passages about worry and stress and all of that, it takes faith to cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you. You see a lack of fruitfulness in your life and then you come across in Psalm 1 that it says, the blessed man, the fruitful man, the one who is like a tree planted by rivers of water that bears fruit in its season, whatever he does will prosper. That person is the person who drinks of the Word of God, feasts on the Word of God. It takes faith to open up your Bible and say, Lord, I want to be a fruitful person. I'm believing that as I feast on this, you are going to do that in my life. It's not a law or a work for us to keep, but faith to express in the living God. All right, so God's rest is accessed by faith. All right, let's get back to Hebrews chapter 4. And the next thing I want you to see comes from the middle of verse 3 and following. It says, although His works were finished from the foundation of the world. This is talking about God. His creation work, you know, was finished from the foundation of the world. For He has somewhere... And this is from Genesis chapter 2. The writer to the Hebrews quotes from the Old Testament that way a lot, for he has spoken somewhere. It's not a disrespectful thing. It's just a tone of all of it is God's word. So he has spoken somewhere of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, the one he's picking apart right now, Psalm 95, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Okay, I want, I want you to catch what's going on here. It's, it's easy to miss. I want you to catch this. Uh, up to this point, the author, he's been doing this thing where he's like trying to point out that by faith we enter into the full rest that God has for us. And he's been asking his readers to go back in their biblical memory all the way to the book of Exodus and the book of Joshua secondarily. He's asking them to look in also the book of Numbers to to see and remember that we came out of slavery. There was this moment of decision. But here he does something different. He's asking them to go back not just to Joshua or Exodus or Numbers, but he says go back even further. And go to Genesis chapter 2. Think about the act of God's creation. 
And how for six days he laid out creation by the word of his power. And then it says, and on the seventh day, God ceased from his creative work. And he rested. On that seventh day, everything was good. Everything was pure. Everything was perfect. And he, and he asks the reader to think about that seventh day. And what he seems to be saying is, this rest that we can have from God it's not something that is brand new. It's something that God instituted from the very beginning. So here's the third thing I want you to see about God's rest. Number three, God's rest takes us back to and beyond the original rest. Takes us back to and beyond. Back to first, let's think about that. You know, when Adam and Eve were walking around in the garden before the fall, before sin, it was a pretty great experience that they were having with God. You know, it was just total friendship, companionship with God. God, who had eternally had fellowship, friendship, love within himself, Father, Son, Spirit, wanted to share that with his created being. And so Adam and Eve, they're walking around in the joy of fellowship with God. So in one sense, we would say this is what Jesus, by his blood, he has purchased for us a rest like that. We get to go back into full relationship and fellowship and friendship with God. You guys are looking at me all serious. I feel like you should be happier about this. <laughs> it's really good that we've been brought back to that. But, but, but here's the thing. We have not only been brought back to that, we've been brought to something better than that. And here's, here's why. Let's consider this. When Adam, before the fall, was walking and talking with God, let me ask you this, did he ever have to ask God for forgiveness? Was he ever going through a trial that was so deep that he had to run to God and ask God to stand with him through the fires of those trials? Did he have to look at Eve diagnosed with cancer and bring heard to God and say, God, would you help us through this difficulty? Would you help us through this trial? Did he ever have to ask God for mercy? A second chance? Grace? No, he was just walking in the love, the approval of God because he was walking in sinless perfection. But you and I, we don't live in that era. We don't live in the Eden era. We live in a different time. We live in a time where we have been stained by sin, so we get to, by the blood of Jesus, go back to friendship with God. But we have a new wrinkle, a new facet to our friendship with God that Adam in that state did not have. And it's the state where we can come to God in the midst of our ugliness, our shame, our embarrassment, and run to Him in the midst of that and still find rest with Him because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know what kind of person you are when it comes to the new year and resolutions and stuff like that. I don't really make like a lot of resolutions, but I am kind of a guy who's like always thinking about like things that I want to accomplish and areas I want to grow and things I want to do. You know, I like keeping lists and stuff like that. You know, and so for, for me, it's like I get excited when the new year comes and then when the summer comes and it's into the fall and it's like the new academic year, I treat it like it's another new year. And I'm just always like looking for another excuse to be like, how can I grow? 
grow? How can I improve? You know, and, and I was like praying about this thing the other day. Like I'd written down some things I was praying about. Like, Lord, you know, would you help me with it? And I just felt the Lord say, like, you know, Nate, like we, we have been working on this for like a long time. <laughs> you've been praying about this one for a long it wasn't like some prayer i don't want to make it sound more spiritual than it was it wasn't like some prayer request like god i'm just i believe in you for this prayer it wasn't anything like that it was just like lord i just want to get better at this and it was like nay i it's not like that's a new prayer request but i just felt in that moment the patience of god the rest of god like he will walk with us through all of these things so God's rest takes us back to and beyond the original. Okay, in verse 6, back in Hebrews chapter 4, let's read further and see the fourth thing. It says, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, that generation, the Exodus one, again he appoints a certain day, Going back to Psalm 95, saying, Today, saying through David, the author of Psalm 95, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. <clears throat> okay, what this is, this is him emphasizing that the, if you're to ask the question, When can I enter into God's rest? It's never tomorrow. It's today. It's today. That is a word of grace. Think about that generation that couldn't go into the promised land. They didn't believe, and then they had to wait for 40 years for their children and their children's children to go in to the promised land. You see, for them, it wasn't today, it was tomorrow. But for us, for believers... What he's announcing is that even after Joshua finally brought him into the promised land, that really wasn't the full rest that God had for them. David spoke of a today. There is a now consideration, something that could happen today where we can experience the rest of God. It's a word of grace. So the fourth thing that I want you to see is that we should, number four, enter God's race, uh, grace or rest, excuse me. We should enter God's rest daily we should enter god's rest daily i've known a lot of christians over the years a lot of people who have walked with the lord and i've never met anybody who's walked with the lord experienced the lord who has said to me you know nate i wish that i had come to christ just a little bit later in life you know just I wish I'd had a little bit more time to just make things super complex and difficult in my life. I wish I'd have just had more time. No, every believer I know who's walked with the Lord has said, I wish I had heard the today call of the Lord a little bit earlier. I wish I had responded to His grace a little bit earlier. And there are some of you here today that the Lord, He's calling you. He's tugging upon your life. You, you've yet to trust in Him. You've yet to place your faith in Him. You've yet to believe in Him. And He's looking at you. He loves you. He's desiring you. He wants to bring you in to His family. And today should be the day for you to come into the family of God. Today should be the day where you place your faith and trust in Christ. 
Because the beautiful reality is you can have a long history of rebellion against God and you can't walk your way out of that over a long string of consecutive todays. No, you just have today. And today you can experience that rest. You could have been wandering from the Lord in carnality for 20, 30 years, and today you can be brought into the rest of God. You could have had a bad week last week as a believer, as a Christian, and today you can come into the rest of God. I'm so glad to be talking to you about this on January 13th of 2019 because by now all of you have failed all your resolutions, and today you can come into the grace of the friendship, the rest of God. It's available to us every single day. That's what the Lord longs for us to know. We should enter into God's rest daily. Let's see the fifth thing in verse 8 through 10. He says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. I don't have a ton to say about this one, and it's slightly complicated, but just listen to this. The fifth thing that we should see is that God's rest is pictured, and I've been talking about this, but it's pictured in creation, the promised land, and the Sabbath system. Creation there first in that he says, you know, when God created, he ceased doing his works. That doesn't mean that God stopped doing things or stopped doing good things. Just like for the Christian, we, after we're justified by Christ, we no longer have to go back and try to build a righteousness for ourselves because it's been built for us by Jesus, but we still want to live a life that is faithful to do good works So on one hand, it's like that. God ceased, He stopped as He continued. Another way that it's pictured is in the Sabbath system. The Sabbath system was a way for the people of Israel every seventh day, and then at various intervals throughout the year to go to Jerusalem and worship God. It was a way for them to experience God. So it's an experiential kind of reality. And then he points to, it's kind of like Joshua's rest because he brought them into the land that God had destined for them and he helped vanquish their enemies and bring peace into their lives. Did you know that when Jesus Christ saved you, he saved you positionally, but man, there's a whole bunch of stuff in your life and in your heart stuff you don't even know about that the Holy Spirit hasn't even gone into yet, but yet he wants to deliver you from those things. That's what the rest of God is like. So God's rest is pictured in creation, the promised land, and the Sabbath system. Let us, verse 11, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Again, we already visited this verse when we looked at the first verse that we are to enter God's rest and that it should be a major priority of our lives. He's saying, take it very seriously. We should strive to enter that rest. Okay, now, rest, 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 rest. Enter, 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 enter. That's what the text is all about, right? We're just going on, it's rest, enter, enter, rest. Now let's read our last and final little paragraph. He says, verse 12, I want to show you this last thing about entering his rest. 
He says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I'm, I'm very glad to share this little paragraph with you in connection to the section that we are going through today. Because as you're reading through it, it almost stands out like, like, it's, a, like it's a shift. Like, like, it, like this doesn't fit here. You know, we're talking about rest and entering God's rest and everything like that. And then the author says, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's like, I don't know if there's any person in this whole church who if I just taught verse 1 through 11 and we're like, rest, enter, enter, rest, on the patio after service would be like, you know why? Because the Word of God is living and active, sharper than... It's like, what, where's the logic? Where's this going? Why is he saying this right here? And I think part of the reason why we might feel that way is because this is a familiar passage to many of us. And usually we hear it disconnected from its setting, out of its context. Let's talk about the Bible. What is the Bible? Well, it's the Word of God. It's alive. It's active. It gets down into who you are. It cuts between soul and spirit. It discerns the intentions of the heart. And that is a good study, and that is true of God's Word. But why is he bringing it up right here? Well, think about it. This guy, as he's been writing this out, He's been talking Bible. He's been ripping apart Psalm 95 to apply it to our modern situation. He's been talking about Joshua. He's been talking about Moses. He's been talking about all these Scriptures related to the angelic realm. And in the opening verses of chapter 1, he alluded to all of the prophets. In his mind, somehow, the Word of God is able to bring you into the rest of God. In other words, God's rest is offered, sixthly, God's rest is offered in God's Word. This author believed that as you mess with the Word of God, the Word of God will mess with you. And that as you interact with it, it will show you whether you've got that rest or not. It will show you that deeper life. It will show you where your life is today as you simply pour yourself over it and its pages. It is living and active, he says. That means it's alive and it's working. It's sharp and it's piercing. That means it is surgical. It cuts. It gets down to divide soul and spirit, thoughts and intentions. It shows you who you truly, truly are. And how does it leave you? Notice verse 13, we're all naked and exposed before God by His Word. It just shows us who we truly, really, actually are. But look, the thing is, if you want to get into the rest of God, you have got to get into the Word of God. You've got to let God's Word speak into your life, speak into your situation. And as I wrap this up, I want to say it like this. I believe that what he's hinting at 
is that this rest that God has for His people, it cannot, it should not, it must not be faked by God's people. We must go to God's Word and see what could be and be honest about the gap between what is and what could be and long for that gap to be narrowed so that we could come into the fullness that Christ has for us. I say that with an understanding that where you are seated right now, where we have gathered and who we have gathered with today, this is the prime place where the rest of God is faked. I'm not trying to point anybody out. I'm just saying that we want to have the joy of the Lord, but where in the world might you be tempted to say, I know I don't have the joy of the Lord, but I have the joy of the Lord. Where on earth might you not be at peace and rest in your heart, but be tempted to say, everything is so good in my life. It's right here. It's in the assembly of the saints. Let this Word of God, not just this Word that we looked at today, but all of God's Word, perform its surgery upon your heart. That you from time to time would put your hand on the shoulder of someone you love in Christ and say, you know what, right now, I'm not good. I don't have rest in this area of my life. I'm kind of a mess right now. But I want that gap to close. And I want to come completely into the rest that Christ has for me. Thank you for listening. If you'd like more teachings and information about Calvary Monterey, please visit calvary.com. You can also find books, teachings through the Bible, and articles from our senior pastor at nateholdridge.com. Thanks again for tuning in. See you next week.